welcome to the Meadows uh, podcast series. Today's topic is holiday movies. Uh, I'm Mark Karens of the Film and Media Arts Division, and I'm joined by my colleague, Dr. Rick Worland. Hello. Good morning. And we're just going to uh, give you some of our thoughts on some holiday movies as we're headed into Thanksgiving break and then the uh, rest of the holiday season. And there's, of course, lots of movies related to this. And we just came up with a few categories to share. Um and hopefully maybe recommend some things that you haven't seen or haven't seen in a while or remind you about some things that uh, you may have forgotten. Mm -hmm. So our first uh, question, uh, which was kind of to get us started, that there's so many of these holiday movies that even film professors haven't seen them all. No. So, um, Rick, what's a sort of classic holiday or Christmas movie that you've never seen? Well, I think... Probably the one that's the biggest glaring spot in hole in my knowledge is the original Miracle on 34th Street from the late 1940s with Natalie Wood when she was just a child. I'm quite a fan of her when she was an adult, uh, but I've never seen that movie, and it's one that everybody seems to love, and I'm not opposed to it. I just, for whatever reason, I've never, you know, there's sometimes people like, oh, well, you're too good for it. Not at all. I just haven't seen it. That's just kind of funny because I feel like I can't make it through a holiday season without turning on the TV and catching it at some point. Or some remake of it. Yeah, well, and there's, of course, mul multiple remakes. I just came across the other day uh, Ed Wynn, who was, um, you know, the Mad Hatter in the original animated yeah. Alice in Wonderland and Mary Poppins' aunt or uncle. uncle yeah. um, he's apparently in a TV version. Uh, which I had never oh. seen, but then came acro across this, and I'm like, I'd be really curious because he seems like he'd be a weird Santa Claus. <laughs> he he had kind of yes, he had that sort of almost insane vibe about him too. That's like uh, in Mary Poppins when they're doing "I Love to Laugh," you know, it's just like this guy's kind of crazy. Well, so. he's perfectly cast as the Mad Hatter. Yeah. Um. So I I had I had two that I thought of. Um. One of which I know you're going to mention later, so I'll save that one. Not spoil the thunder. Um, this is probably not actually a classic, but somehow I feel like keeps coming up in co in conversations, despite the fact that it should have been relegated to the dustbin years ago, <laughs> is Jingle All the Way, the Sinbad and Arnold Schwarzenegger Ooh. Christmas movie. Oh, yeah. Where they're both trying to get the same toy. And see, I know the plot, but somehow never got uh -huh. around to seeing it. And now I feel like it's been, I, I feel almost like I should be obligated to, but it's probably not worth spending my time on. It's pr it may or may not be. Uh, we hate to offend Sinbad and Arnold fans out there, but it's um, it's one of those things that I guess if you leave it, if you don't look at it for a while, maybe there's a kind of nostalgia factor <laughs> in looking at, oh, look at those old cars and things like that. You know, so. Okay, so um, get with our credentials out of the way that we have not seen all yeah, the Christmas movies. No, um, so far, nothing we got here. Yeah, yeah let's let's do <laughs> let's do some recommendations on stuff. Um, we kind of broke these into a couple of categories, um, but let's start with a favorite classic Christmas film, which you can sort of define cr classic however you'd like. Um, what what do you have, Rick? Well, one of my favorites, uh, and I think it's a lot of people's, is a Christmas story from 1983. Uh, that's, uh, that's so, that, that's so successful now for the last 30 plus years that on Christmas, it was about a 24 hour marathon that they run on TC, uh, TNT or one of the cable channels. They run it 24 hours continuously Christmas Eve and, and Christmas day. Um, and, uh, it's almost like that, um, that, that show where they just do the fireplace log and there's mm -hmm. nothing else. Uh, but it's um, probably people know that this movie, when it was released in 1983, was more or less a bomb. Uh, it didn't have any stars. Um, the adults in the movie are 
the fine old uh, character actor who I've always loved, Darren McGavin, and uh, the actress Melinda Dillon plays the mother, and she's probably most famous prior to that for being the mom in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Mm -hmm. So far, you know, Darren McGavin in the early 80s is, again, not a big star, uh, but it's a kid movie, and it's so wonderfully made, and it's so funny all the way through uh, that people started rediscovering A Christmas Story uh, on cable television and home video in the early 80s, and it really became, uh, really built thereafter until pretty much no one could understand why this movie wasn't a success originally. And that's, uh, the um, the filmmaker there is, that's Bob Clark, right, who was yes. uh, not necessarily known for heartwarming family films prior to <laughs> no, that. No, his previous movie to that was the gross-out comedy classic Porky's, in 1981, which, by the way, is not a terrible, not only not a terrible movie, it's a fairly interesting movie in different ways, and not just for the, not just for the, uh, the leering and so on. Yeah, Christmas Story is such a good choice, um, and yeah, at the, the marathon where it's just on all day, and you kind of put it on in the background and catch different parts yeah. at different times, um, my, uh, my wife is from Cleveland, and so they have a connection there that that's, of course, a lot of it was filmed in yeah. Cleveland, and um, last time we were in town over the holidays, the house from it has now been turned into a Christmas story museum. And I think go, I read like, that. Walk through it and stuff. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. It, it somehow, I don't know, somehow doesn't come. You see the outside, you're like, oh my gosh, that's the Christmas story yeah. house. And you walk in, you're like, well, it just looks like a house. I don't uh -huh. feel a sense of movie. That R Ralphie and, and his family don't uh, seem to live there in the 1940s anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but, but and, and actually that was based on a novel um, which is uh, which I just love the title. It's called the novel's called "In God We Trust, All Others Pay Cash," <laughs> and it was written by uh, Gene Shepard, who was a New York uh, DJ and radio personality, and he was an essayist and and raconteur. And that's actually Gene Shepard doing the voiceover narration as the adult Ralphie in the movie, and that that adds a lot to it as well. That was something I didn't realize till um, I had seen the movie numerous times. But then when I was a little bit older and actually reading through the credits, like, oh, wait, the narrator is the author of the book. That's yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm going to even go a little bit older for my classic one. Um, and mine is Santa Claus is Coming to Town. It's the uh, 1960, 70, 1970 um Rankin Bass uh, stop motion animated one. Okay. Um, and they have a bunch of those uh, sort of done as TV specials, uh, you know, in sort of the half hour or um, 60 minute, you know, with commercials yeah. length. And that's a, that's one that uh, I, I still think is just really cool. That kind of style of animation um, that's like stop motiony and kind of herky jerky. They have a very particular style to their puppetry in the yes. Rankin Bass movies. Um and, the, you know, there's several of those. There's Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is also a good one. But the Santa Claus coming to town, um, I have sort of a personal nostalgic connection to that my younger brother was, like, obsessed with it and watched it every day oh, for, really? like, two years straight. Like, year, round. year round. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Um, so it was it was on a lot in our house. But <laughs> Sounds um, like. But it's also, I, th I think, uh, just it's, it's really, it's very sweet and clever and uh, kind of, I think of all the ones they those Christmas specials they did, it was the best one. It really take it. A lot of them were sort of based on a songs. So there's the one based on or a story. One based on the night the night before Christmas. There's one based on Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. Yes. There's one on Frosty the Snowman, and uh, this one was based on you know the song Santa Claus is Coming to Town, but really built up this whole backstory and world about how this char character human came to be raised by elves and learned how to be a toy maker and. 
it really kind of works as like a story and just every now and then there'll be a little bit where you're like, oh, and that's where that part of the song comes from. And at the end when they sing the song, it's like you've seen how all the parts mm. came together. I actually don't know that. I've seen that one, of course, many times back in the day. And, and when I was a kid, I'm a baby boomer, and when I was a kid, it seemed like there was a new one of these shows, one or two of these Christmas specials that were often really good. And they seemed to appear, especially in the late 50s and 60s, about once a year. That one, I, is that the one? I think it, I think I'm thinking about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, where one of the elves, really, his, his secret desire is to really be a dentist. He yes, just doesn't want to make toys. That's, that's Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. <laughs> Um, like, and uh, there's a great line in that one where, you know, the head elf is like, "What? You know, what's the matter?" He's like, "Well, I just don't like making toys." He's like, "Oh, is that all? Wait a minute, you don't <laughs> like making toys?" And then there's like a little game of telephone with all the other elves. Telling oh each yes, other, yes. Kirby yeah. doesn't like making toys. Yeah, those those were really good. Those guys were on a roll because they also did the feature film that that's that's uh, I enjoy a lot, which is called Mad Monster Party from the mid '60s during the height of all the. Um, renaissance of the Universal monster movies, and you see all of the characters uh, from the Universal horror films, and it's and the and the lead guy. I don't know who the actor is, but the entire the the, the man who's the sort of innocent who's lost in the monster world. The actor is doing a Jimmy Stewart impression. The entire <laughs> that's the character. He's Jimmy Stewart. I don't know how they quite got away with that. It was very good though. They have a in Santa Claus coming to town. The narrator is Fred Astaire, who oh yeah, is, yeah. looks like a. Fred Astaire was if he was a stop motion puppet. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's a that's a good nostalgic one for me. But I think uh, I've I've seen that recently. That's actually still one we got on Blu-ray when it came out, and we'll watch it with our kids. You know, every holiday season. I think still holds up. Yeah. All right. So um, those were sort of those were classic films. So we went back to the '80s and '70s. Um, and I did just pull up when you were saying they had all these movies. It, Rankin Bass in, in between like. The mid 1960s and like 1980, it looks like put out about 25 or 30 of these things. They were just cranking them out. Yeah. Um, and the interesting thing to me is that I sort of had this perception of the ones I knew that like they kind of did the great ones early on, and then we're getting like worse and worse. Mm -hmm. And it's not quite true. They're actually they're they're very kind of sporadic. Um, so Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer was like one of their first ones, which I think is very strong. But they had a couple of ones that I, I don't know if they were flops financially or not, but certainly I don't think are done as well. Um, and then came back with some strong ones and then had flops again. So it's, it's just mm. interesting kind of looking at that. Well, they um, would run all those Christmas specials in that day. That was the, the day of the three network uh, mm -hmm. dominance. And usually in December until from ba basically Thanksgiving till New Year's Day, there were lots and lots of reruns. Uh, they didn't put out new episodes of different shows, and so those Christmas specials helped uh, help fill a void in that in that particular pe uh, period. Well, and I think they they still do that. I think you can still like all of the those classic Christmas specials. It seems like you know I don't know if it's ABC or CBS or but like one of the major networks will like run them as like a you know like this Thursday only catch this thing that's been out for sixty years exactly it's yes. easily available in other places it, other places not cut up and no no commercials but yeah here right. it is yeah. um okay so with those as the classics uh how about some uh newer movies and again I'll sort of leave you to define newer how you oh, would my. like do you have a, a favorite newer holiday film well uh, taking off from the Santa Claus is coming to town uh it's actually not one of my favorite movies but it's funny uh, it's a big, it's a big favorite of my daughter Emily, and uh, a lot of 
people her age, but it's Elf, the the, mm. the Will Ferrell movie, which is, I think, kind of based actually on Santa Claus is Coming to Town. It's a similar kind of premise. And uh, the whole idea that Will Ferrell, who's like, what, 6'4", or something like that, <laughs> uh, is the world's tallest elf. Uh, and and uh, Bob Newhart, of course, plays his father. And, uh, and Will Ferrell's like sitting on his lap yes, and is like, yes. you know, through the magic of cinema, you know, not just, he's like normal six four, but Bob Bob Newhart, who's already not a large person, no, is like no. shrunk down to like two feet. <laughs> yes, and Newhart is always. I mean, for I, I've never not had Bob Newhart in my life as a television personality and a comedian, and he hasn't changed. And it's it's hilarious. He's just that that dry, uh, that, that that dry humor all the way through. That that is quite a good one. I, the uh, I'll, I'll say that one. I always liked till about maybe like. 10 or 15 minutes before the end, I think when they go into Central Park and have the, uh, basically the evil police on horses, like chasing Santa, it gets really weird Mm -hmm. and like they're trying to have a big action climax in what's essentially like a family comedy and I don't know. Um, but I, I, I like most of that movie a lot. I think it's quite funny and they just didn't kind of know where to go at the end. Um, I'll say my, my favorite newer one is Love Actually, which is, um, you know, not precisely about Christmas, but set around the holiday time and certainly I think would qualify as a holiday movie. Um, and I, I'm, I'm a sucker for the big ensemble um, drum, dramedy uh, mm-hmm. type of thing. Hard and to pull off. Yeah, it is. And I, and I think that one pulls it off pretty pretty well. Um, you know, not all the storylines are quite as strong as the others, but um, it I, I like it quite a bit. And I, I really like um, at the end how the they build – in contrast to Elf, I think the climax of this one works really well where you're kind of intercutting between several um, several of the storylines and it's always like, you know, one person rushing off to tell the other person they love them, but it's like six different things, um, six different versions of that at the same time. Yeah. Um, and it, it's just, it's, it's a very sort of sweet um, movie and I think gets a little bit at the complexity of relationships. You know, it's the great, the great one where... Um, Oh my gosh, I'm uh, blanking on the guy's name. He plays the old old rocker. He's oh my, you you, you brought like, this up. He's got like the squid. <laughs> he's, in, in Pirates of the Caribbean, he plays Davy Jones, Richard Nye. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Or yeah, Bill Bill Nye. Sorry. Yeah. Um, uh, where he's the he's the aging rocker and like you know he has the number one single and goes to this big Elton John party and then he comes back and like goes and goes to his manager's house and his manager's like, what are you doing here? You should be partying. He's like, you know. And he, was with all these people, and I sort of realized I'd rather be hanging out with you, drinking. Like after mm-hmm. all this, you're turns out you're the love of my life. <laughs> um, and that's the one where Hugh Grant is the British Prime Minister, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, maybe not a hundred percent believable. Billy Bob Thornton is the U.S. President. Uh, actually, played yeah. a little more believable. Yes, I, I think I think um, maybe that's true. But that that's good. Uh, at one note, if anyone is looking for these movies, we we made this mistake once because my wife and I both really like that movie, um, and it's a great holiday film. And we had some family over one time; they were like looking for a Christmas movie to watch, and people hadn't seen. They were like, "Oh, let's throw on Love Actually," in this you know sort of large family group. And so, just a heads up to anybody because we had just totally forgotten that one of the couples meets. They're both like. Uh, porn stars or stand-ins for porn stars and they <laughs> meet that. on this set um, and like are you know they're sort of having these conversations while they're naked and they're checking the lighting and everything um, and so kind of like maybe 30 seconds before that scene hits we're like wait maybe this wasn't the best suggestion <laughs> 
so uh, re- recommended, but um, you know, maybe not for the younger kids. Yeah, not for, not for the whole family. Yeah. Okay, so um, so then then two other quick categories we can uh, hit is uh, overrated and underrated Christmas movies. So do you want to st- start with uh, a movie that not necessarily is terrible, you think is sort of overrated as a Christmas movie? Well, I mean, I I don't think it's per se over i don't know i this will just only inspire uh, hatred but uh, i'm not a big fan of the 1954 white christmas and i think it's too long and i looked up back we had that discussion yesterday we were talking about this and i said well i think you said you've never been able to get through yeah, it that was one of the ones i was going to say i've never seen because i've never made it all the way through it, it's it's like two hours and 15 minutes and so it's an it's an epic um it, it, it has beautiful production design. Uh, you know, Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye are wonderful. It's the Irving Berlin songs. It just feels a little long to me, but I know a lot of people uh, completely love it. It's a real post-World War II movie because it's all about um, this sort of reunion and recognition of a, of a general at the end of the movie. Uh, and, and I think it's interesting that the mid-20th century, those movies uh, played into... Uh, played into the war, the World War II, and then the Cold War, Korea, and the Cold War afterwards. And I think that's part of it. I mean, when Bing Crosby originally sang I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas in 1942, it was just at the beginning for the U.S. or near the beginning of the war. And that would have been the first Christmas uh, after Pearl Harbor in 1942 in the following year. That would have been the first Christmas. And then the other one for World War II uh, is Meet Me in St. Louis, where uh, Judy Garland sings Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, which is very much a poignant song. And that was that was released in the Christmas of 1944, when there were, that was the heaviest part of the war for, for the United States and pretty much everyone. So, so White Christmas, coming in the mid-50s, I think still kind of picks up on that sense of, uh, uh, of a kind of, on, a, on a one hand, a kind of recognition for the sacrifice of, soldiers but on the other hand a kind of war weariness creeps into it uh i'm going on and on about a movie i profess not to like (laughs) by the way uh but it doesn't mean it's not interesting no it doesn't mean it doesn't have a good an interesting place the thing i like about the last thing i'll say though is that what it really reminds me it's so beautiful in that fake hollywood production design uh way and it reminds me of a quote by the german producer and director ernst lubitsch who said i've seen paris france and i've seen paris hollywood and I prefer Paris Hollywood, <laughs> prefers the fantasy. And so there's nothing like Hollywood Christmas. I mean, it, it, right. it, it's always better somehow than, you know, this is why we're recommending that people who are, you know, tired of their families, they all sit down and watch these heartwarming movies. Or if you love your family and you are having a them. good time, you can sit down and watch a movie too. Yeah, it, it takes the edge off. Perhaps. You know, it's interesting when you're mentioning those songs and kind of where those come from historically. That's one of the things I just find fascinating is um, – there's there's this uh, period of musicals where I feel like it was more about the getting the right stars together and the production design and you're kind of using pre-existing songs that maybe had been in another musical or just sort of old classics and bring those in. And then at some point there was sort of the transition to musicals being, you know, they want to have songs that are specific to that musical and it's, you know, either new or was you know, it's something off Broadway that was new when it was performed as a musical and they make it into a movie. Um, but that's always one that strikes me when I'm watching, you know, some of the classic musicals is just how many of the songs are not 
unique to that, but just putting them in this particular context. Work. In that case, I think what really happened was the song was bigger than almost anything. It's mm-hmm. really the song that was driving it because Crosby had introduced it in another in a movie that was essentially the same story in 1942 called Holiday Inn. Oh, that's and, right. And, uh, and and it's a really with with Fred Astaire actually, and and it's a really terrific film. Except for the fact that um, it has a very regrettable blackface number in the in the middle of it uh, for Lincoln's birthday, they do a blackface number, which is just perverse. But so Crosby recorded had had recorded um, White Christmas, and then they, he sings it in the Holiday Inn in 1942. And it became such a beloved film that they, you know, when they redid the movie, the song became the star. The song gotcha. got in the title essentially. Yeah. Um, so I, I will go much newer for my overrated movie, which is the uh, Jim Carrey and Ron Howard version of The Grinch. Um, and I don't actually think it's a it's a terrible film. It just feels like wholly unnecessary. And if you're going to devote time to watching a story of The Grinch, you know, watch the old Chuck Jones and Boris Karloff version, which is fantastic. Right, you know, the, yeah. the original animated one, which just captures that story so well. And Karloff's narration is amazing. You know, even when I'm, you know, we we have a bunch of Dr. Seuss books at home, and I'll like read it, read them to the kids. And we're reading the <laughs> we're reading the Grinch. It's like impossible not to try to do a yes, Karloff yeah. impression. Yes, and all the little Who's in Whoville will cry, <laughs> boo, who. And uh, so, so it, you know that I'll, I'll give credit to um, Ron Howard for the production design and everything, and really kind of bringing the Dr. Seuss world into live action and matching the look of things that. You know, often yeah. Dr. Seuss does not look realistic at no, all. No, and then that's the whole finding point, a way you know. to create to create it. And I think Jim Carrey, if you were going to make a live action Grinch, Jim Carrey was probably the right choice for it, and does a good job. And I just I don't know why. Surely the two of them could have done something better with their talents. Or different or something, yeah. And, and in fact, apparently, Jim Carrey really, by all the reports, really suffered for his art because he spent hours and hours in that makeup, which was just claustrophobic. And he, he says so, too, that he, at a certain point he was he was <laughs> consulting with, uh, like, a Green Beret or Navy SEAL or something about how to do these mental relaxing exercises so you can lay without moving essentially or like not freaking out for hours and hours because he just had all this heavy makeup on and of course speaking of Karloff it was the same thing when Karloff played Frankenstein back in the day not only does it take a lot of time to put on tons of makeup when when they say we're done for the day sometimes you spend an hour or two hours just getting it off yeah, and so and so again, credit credit him for as you said, suffering for his art. Um, and, and I think he he does what he can, but it it ultimately comes down to it's a it's a you know twenty minute half hour story yeah. that they're trying to find a way to stretch to two hours. And I think most of the things they add to stretch it actually make the story worse. Um, so anyway, that that's my overrated. After the Karloff thing with Frankenstein reminded me of uh, Peter Weller in RoboCop. Where they wanted to do the sequel, and his like negotiation for the sequel was not about his salary, but how much lighter they could make the suit. Because he's oh. like, I'm not putting on that suit again for a whole feature. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, let's move to more positive things. How about underrated Christmas movies? Something that uh, maybe people forgot about, or that you you think doesn't get the credit it's deserved. Well, I I didn't uh, I didn't absolutely come up with that one. I, I think that would be uh, originally that would have been what happened to, to a Christmas story, but it, that didn't really last very long. Um, but uh, in terms of a movie that I think is uh, th- that had a kind of um, 
a kind of precedent for this was the, was Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life from 1946, mm. which is hardly an underrated movie at this point. But uh, yeah, you're going to have to make the case for that being yeah, underrated. no, it's well, it was similarly though it was not at all successful when it was released, and it was kind of a bomb. It was an independent production that Capra's uh, company that he was a part of um, uh, produced it, and it didn't do well. And as a result of that, it fell into the public domain. And so in the about the late 60s or into the early 70s, television station programmers all across the country realized that this was a really pretty high-quality film with Jimmy Stewart as the star, and it was free. And so you didn't have to pay anyone for the rights. And so they would run It's a Wonderful Life all the time around Christmas. And so the whole idea that it became this beloved Christmas movie is really a kind of a roundabout uh, way. And, and what's wonderful about It's a Wonderful Life uh, is the fact that it's not, for most of the movie, it's not at all heartwarming. It's, it's about increasing desperation and frustration of the main character. And it's really an interesting roundabout way in which this became this, you know, beloved family classic. Well, I gotta say, this is not very holiday spirit of me, but uh, I, th- what bothers me about that movie is I really like movies. I, I like the bad guy to sort of get their come up and sort of get their just desserts, and like basically that movie ends with the, you know, the rich banker who took the money and hid it in the first place, keeps all of his ill-gotten gains, Absolutely. and everybody else in the town suffers. Like you know, these are poor people who are all giving their money to Jimmy right. Stewart to keep the bank open and they're just all going to be in more trouble the next day he mr you're right that mr potter is absolutely unbowed and unpunished we don't have him dragged away by the police at the end he kept the money that he just physically stole it that that's the movie i want to see is it's a wonderful <laughs> life with an end scene where they like you know mob mr potter's house and yes and burn, in burn it to the ground well that sort of happens of course the other another movie that that really is a takeoff from it's a wonderful life is gremlins from 1984 mm-hmm. which is one of my favorites and gremlins is just packed full of references to all sorts of movies of the past uh, and with the aesthetic of Warner Brothers cartoons, including a cameo appearance by Chuck Jones, who produced and directed the How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the original special. And Chuck Jones has a cameo in the film, which I think was just a way of indicating that's what we're going for here. This is like a Warner Brothers cartoon from the 40s and 50s. You know, that, that that's a kind of underrated one, too. And then I think, like, it had a, Gremlins had a lot of cachet when I was growing up, but I feel like it's kind of been a little forgotten about. It's not something you hear the younger generation talking about. I, I used to show it in classes when I would do American film history. I would show it as an 80s blockbuster. And for a number of years, students would just, like, turn into six-year-olds, and I would kid them afterwards about how they were just like, oh, that was so great. I love that movie. And uh, my kids thought it was scary, by the way, for the first time they saw it when they were pretty small. But they they loved it. And But I think you're right. In later years, when I've shown it, I'll, I'll always kind of poll the class, and it's, I think, less than half have seen it at this mm-hmm. point. So um, I'll, I'll throw out one that, that uh, kind, of, kind of like yours is not necessarily one people don't like but i think maybe doesn't get the credit it deserves is the 1994 remake of uh, miracle on 34th street with richard attenborough as chris kringle um and i re- i really like the original one in black and white with um that you mentioned earlier um so it, it's not any, that there's anything to bad about the old one but it's, this was kind of one of the rare remakes that i thought like hewed close enough to the original and keeps the same charm and sweetness but is enough its own thing to be um kind of worth watching in its own right and richard attenborough obviously uh very talented as a uh director and actor and you know probably 
50 years down the road when all is said and done, I think might be better remembered for his work as a director. But yeah. this, this was a him playing sort of like the jovial, innocent old man. I mean, his Chris Kringle is kind of a take on um, his uh, Jurassic Park from a year earlier oh. where he's just like the kid, you know, the old man, but kid, you know, kid in a candy store, very in Jurassic Park, he's very naive and kind of doesn't sort of realize mm-hmm. what he's let loose. But you, you believe he's kind of good hearted about it. Um, and he, he makes a very wonderful Chris Kringle in this. And one of the things I love about, um, both those movies is most Christmas movies that have a Santa, it's either you sort of accept like there is a Santa and it's sort of this magical land or they're, you know, more set it grounded in reality, like an, it's a wonderful life or a Christmas story or something like that. And both of the miracle on 34 streets, I really love that they, kind of explicitly refuse to say whether he really is Santa Claus or not and kind of leave it to you to kind of make up your own determination. If you believe, yeah. Yeah, um, and, but anyway, really re- well done, really sweet, and I always enjoy watching both the um, original black and white one and the Richard Attenborough one. Around Christmas, I'll have to I'll have to see those both. <laughs> yeah, I really will. Maybe just one at a time. You <laughs> don't need to d- double feature it. Okay, so just to, to wrap up, without sort of long explanations, if you're if you already seen all the things we've talked about, um, and are still looking for some more things to hit, uh, more sort of holiday movies, um, we're just going to do sort of quick hits and some recommendations in some different genres. So, um, how about in the TV side? Any sort of TV specials or that sort of shorter form thing you'd like to recommend? Well, we've, we've talked about some of those, but I think for a, for a lot of people, and I, I remember seeing it the very first time it was on, which was a Charlie Brown Christmas from 1965, mm. and, and uh, more than 50 years on, that, that show is still, um, it's still great. And it's interesting because most of the Christmas-related movies we're talking about are really very secular. Mm-hmm. When Santa Claus and Snowmen show up, it's, it's clearly very secular. But uh, Charles M. Schultz was a devout Christian, and he wrote a religious holiday special for for the Peanuts gang. Linus reads from the Bible, the kids' stage, the nativity, and uh, it's very, very, uh, it's a sincere and not at all uh, overwrought expression of of religious faith. And and it's just a, it it seems, I don't know what their, it was a delicate balance uh, about how they achieved that, that it's not smarmy. Uh, and you you just think it's funny, it's touching in the in the right kind of light way that Peanuts always was at its best, and and that show is a is a big success. I love that you use the word sincere because if you remember the Peanuts Halloween special, where Linus <laughs> is waiting for the Great Pumpkin, yeah. that's how the Great Pumpkin decides he'll, he'll come to the most sincere pumpkin patch. <laughs> the most sincere, that's great. And Linus was always very precocious, and he was this like budding intellectual who was you know had a security blanket and sucking his thumb, but he was always the most uh, erudite of the group, which was very funny. So um, I'll, I, I mentioned the Rankin Bass stuff. Um, the uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is, I think, another great one out of there if you're looking for the TV special type of thing. Um, also, if you were looking, you're, you're right, mentioning the Peanuts one is kind of the rare Christmas movie that really is a fairly religious Christmas movie um, and not secular. Um, they, the Rankin-Bass have a few more in that category, so if you're looking for something else like that, Little Drummer Boy, I might recommend. Yes, yes. It's another one of the stop motion and then uh, I got to mention the Garfield Christmas special, which Ooh. is the animated uh, one. And I think they were very much trying to just sort of copy the Peanuts models. There's like a Christmas one, a Thanksgiving one, a Halloween one. Um, and it's nothing like groundbreaking or uh, as sincere as Peanuts, but it's it's a fun little 20, 25-minute 20, um, 
animated thing with Garfield kind of learning the true meaning of Christmas. <laughs> Which always seems to need to be instilled. Right. Um, okay, how about, uh, let's go back to movies. How about some uh, comedies? Anything we didn't hit that uh, you'd recommend there? Um, comedies? Well, again, I'm going to come back to almost to, to, to Gremlins again because I think <laughs> Gremlins is mostly pretty funny. Um, and one of the things that I admire about that film is that probably into the third act is they're just about to start the mayhem where the gremlins just obliterate the town and the plots moving forward they they stop or they significantly slow down so that phoebe cates can tell that old old horror story about you know she her father went missing on christmas and that then they found him you know weeks later stuck in the chimney dressed as santa claus and he was dead and she's <laughs> traumatized as one would be uh, that, by this. That seems reasonable. Yeah, but but the fact that they stopped this out-of-control action comedy to tell this, you know, this old sort of spook story uh, is very, uh, I admire that a lot. All right, and um, I'll, I'll throw out uh, not one of my favorites, but particularly if you have younger kids, uh, I think one that the kids always seem to enjoy is the Santa Claus, the Tim Allen one where he oh, accidentally yeah. kills Santa Claus and then has to become santa claus and there's it's a hilarious premise right there it is they somehow <laughs> milked it for a couple of sequels but um it uh that that's that's one that again is pitched pretty young but i, I think is funny um for the for the kids and certainly inoffensive um and i don't know if this is a comedy or a drama it might kind of bridge the two but the nightmare before christmas oh whether, whether that's yeah. a halloween movie yeah. or a christmas movie i'm not sure but uh Definitely the sort of climax takes place around Christmas. It's interesting that going back to the middle 19th century, through much of the 19th century, there was a close proximity between the, the ghost story and a Christmas story. Because if you think of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, it's really more like a horror story. It's more yeah. like a kind of Twilight Zone kind of story. Uh, and again, he he understands the true uh, uh, Scrooge understands the true meaning of Christmas at the end. But it's it's a it's a dark story, and that's the whole point. And so it, it's interesting that it, that very often, and there's been some writing about this, about why that was in certain ways, and it's really almost a, a kind of pagan. Um, pagan imagery, I think, running up and stories running up against the running up against the the, the Christian story. Well, I don't, I don't know how we've made it this far into a Christmas movie podcast without mentioning a Christmas Carol. But there's so many good versions of that. Yes, multiple. Um, there, you know, just the the sort of newer ones are animated. There's the Mickey Mickey's Christmas Special, which I like a lot, or Mickey's Christmas Carol. There's the um, a Muppet Christmas Carol with Michael Caine um, as Scrooge and everyone else played by Muppets. Oh, that's right. Yes. Um, which is, is quite fun. And Gonzo as Charles Dickens telling the story um, as it goes. Uh, and then, you know, uh, a whole bunch of live action versions as well. Um, I think pro probably my favorite would be the uh, George C. Scott one. Um, with him as Scrooge. I don't think I've seen that one, but that 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 sounds risky to me. But so you're you're going to endorse it though? Huh? I think I think George C. That's the guy who played Patton, right? That's, yeah, that's George C. Scott. He's okay. great, but I mean, he had a he had a tendency to get a little broad in his later years. Yeah. Well, he gets uh, a little broad, but I think it, I think it works <laughs> for uh, Christmas Carol. Um, it, you know, and, the, and then I guess the la the last genre I will bring up because uh, somebody will write in and complain if we don't is the action movie, and of course your go to Christmas action movie is Die Hard. Yeah, of course, that's how um, it would be. Yeah, yeah, that, that was that was interesting. I remember maybe like fifteen or twenty years ago, there was kind of 
some debate about whether that was a Christmas movie, and I think that debate has been settled. It's no longer clever if you say that's a Christmas movie. It's been mm-hmm. agreed it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and one one more, just uh, not a Christmas movie, but we were discussing the other day, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. If you happen to be listening to this in the next day or two and you're looking for a Thanksgiving movie, there's your go-to Thanksgiving comedy. It's, it's one of my favorites. It's, it's one of those comedies where there's just jokes all the way through. Um, it maintains a very... A very direct plot they're just trying to get home but there's john candy and steve martin are wonderful there's so many one-liners and asides and funny scenes and it's one of those i've never run into anybody who who loves that movie who can't essentially recite dialogue and scenes from the film we were doing it just the other day so th- so that's a real uh that's a real favorite of mine is a holiday movie to kick off the season yeah and I th- you know john hughes is sort of known for Probably rightly for his uh, teen movies, you know, Breakfast Club yeah. and Ferris Bueller and Pretty in Pink and Sixteen Candles and all that. Um, and some of it, some of his movies that are made with adults and starring adults, I think, are some of his best. And Planes, Trains, and Automobiles just hits all the way through. I'll, I'll give the uh, warning similar to what I did for Love Actually. Um, this is one I think most of the way through you can watch with the kids. It's a great family movie. <laughs> yes, um, I was telling Mostly, Rick, yeah. I was telling Rick that. Uh, the scene where he is uh, at the rental car counter, Steve Martin is at the rental car counter after not finding the car he was promised and having to trek back apparently miles and miles across from a the runway, parking lot, yeah. across a runway, yeah. um, and gets gets to the front of the line and talks to the clerk. Uh, my parents, when, I, when we were younger, would just fast forward through that scene because it's essentially just a five-minute tirade of profanity, yes. un, un, unbroken, like anything you can think of to say, Steve Martin gets it in there. And and what's great about it is that you you really know the punchline before he gets to it, and you just wonder like Steve Martin is so brilliantly funny, but how can you just have him boiling and cursing? But he's trying to grit his teeth while he's doing it. How can you carry that out as long as that scene goes and it's funny every time, and even if you know where that he's not going to get what he wants? Yeah, so good. All right, so um, hopefully those are some useful recommendations as you're headed into the holidays and looking for some movies to watch or not watch in the case of the ones we recommended you don't. Um, Thanks for listening. Again, uh, I was Mark Karens, and I was here with Dr. Rick Warland, and uh, thanks for listening to the Meadows Podcast. Happy holidays.